0: And From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Hello friends, welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm. I'm a senior fellow for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council, and it is my privilege and honor to be sitting with you today in Tony's place. Looking forward to a great conversation today about everything that's happening in the world. I want to remind you a couple of ways that you can stay in touch with all the resources FRC has for you. You can text the word STAND to 67742 to get text updates. Again, text the word STAND to 67742. In addition, you can download the STAND Firm app wherever apps are found by inserting the word just. To Put in the word uh, Stand Firm and get your Stand Firm app. Uh, Today on the program, Leah Thomas, the man who swims on the Penn swim team as a woman, won the national championship in the Women's 500 freestyle event. Is this just the beginning? And we'll talk to one organization that's trying to do something about it in addition A Canadian reporter recently left a legacy media job because she says she was told not to give certain voices an opportunity to speak. We'll talk to her about her experience later in the program. In our worldview segment today, we'll ask, what does the war in Ukraine teach us about the policy battles being fought here in the United States? That's all coming up today. But the headlines Russian forces pushed further west into Ukraine today as the humanitarian crisis in the country deepens and the death toll mounts. Against this backdrop, President Biden spoke with Chinese leader Xi Jinping for nearly two hours Friday morning in an effort to assess where his government stands. And following the call, China's foreign ministry released a statement that seemed to indicate no change in their position had happened. And joining us now by phone to discuss the latest news from today is Charlie Spearing, who's the White House correspondent at Breitbart News. Charlie, welcome back to Washington Watch.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. You've been tracking the developments there. Just in broad strokes, what's the latest in Ukraine?
1: Well, certainly the latest in Ukraine, you know, the the president is just trying to isolate uh, Russia as much as possible because he wants to stop them from their ongoing offensive war in Ukraine. Uh, And part of that was the reason why he called the president of China today to sort of find a way to see if he can further pressure Putin through economic means. But it does not look like he had much success today. Um, as it took uh, quite a while for Washington to, to come up with a, with a statement about the call, but it does not seem to, but it, the Chinese president does not seem to be interested in uh, sort of joining this economic war against Russia.
0: Well, i want to talk about that. Jen Psaki has already talked about this a little bit. She was asked why President Biden didn't make any specific requests of China. Here's what she had to say in response.
2: China has to make a decision for themselves about where they want to stand uh, and how they want the history books to uh, look at them and view their actions. Uh, and uh, that is a decision for President Xi and the Chinese to make.
0: Charlie, what do you make of uh, the Biden administration's position there that they are going to allow China's concern for how the history books are going to evaluate them, and determine what China does?
1: Yeah, it's, it, the White House's attempt to sort of try to appeal to their sense of, of, of vanity as to how, you know, history books are going to record this. I don't think China's necessarily worried about the history books that are going to be written. They want to write the history books. And we know that China, uh, if China writes the history books, then, they, then they're not going to be concerned about who and who is not supporting Putin. In China's view, it's, it's Biden that, that – caused or, you know, that Biden that failed to stop this war from escalating. And so that's why you had the Chinese president saying in the call, you know, you have to you have to help get this taken care of. You have to dial this back. You have to take care of this conflict in Ukraine and basically saying that, you know, we're not we all we want is peace. We don't and we're not going to take any stances pro not going to take any public stances pro or against Putin. Now you certainly saw a little bit of the White House messaging after this call saying, you know what, the president sent a, a strong message, a strong warning, you know, they didn't actually use the term warning because that might be too strong. But they said they sent a message saying that there will be consequences if if the Chinese decide to help Russia, either militarily or economically, as, as this ongoing pressure campaign continues.
0: Do we have a sense of what those consequences might be?
1: Yeah, I know the reporters today tried to get anything out of Stocky, but sh- anything outside of the, uh, the initial statement, she said she would not expand any details. So a very a very delicate moment in U.S.-China relations, and certainly the, the White House was not playing with any questions to try to get any details about what was going on when we have no idea how strong Biden's warning was. But we can we can safely assess that, you know, he at least sent a message to China that he would rather them side with the United States instead of Russia in this situation. And so it'll be interesting to see how seriously the Chinese president takes this.
0: Charlie, do you have a sense of what the Biden administration would like China to do? And the second part of that is, do you have any sense that China really has leverage to stop Russia's actions if they decided they wanted to?
1: Well, certainly if China wanted to take an aggressive public stance against, you know, against what Russia is doing, they have the opportunity to do that. And they could they could stand up and condemn, you know, join the Western world in condemning um, Putin's ongoing war in Ukraine and it, certainly with with Biden he wants to see them do that but it and but it's very unclear if, whether anything has changed as far as this this ongoing conversation obviously the Biden White House would like to think that the president moved the needle today with his call you know 110 minutes you know he he always likes to brag about how close he is with the Chinese president but we just haven't seen any any fruit from that relationship about how it's actually how China's actually going to help America Because of this relationship, and I I expect that to continue. China has no interest in assisting the United States in in this issue, and uh, all they want to do is continue maintaining the idea that that they are in charge of Taiwan, and they're the ones that, uh, and that nothing happens on on that aspect because that's what angers them more than anything is when you start talking about uh, Taiwan and, and its independence from China.
0: Charlie Spearing, Breitbart News. Thank you so much for your time today. Greatly appreciate it.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me.
0: And that's a bit on the Biden administration's perspective, how they're trying to handle this. But now we're going to get some more analysis on President Biden's conversation with President Xi Jinping and get a better understanding of the Chinese perspective. And now I'm joined by Dean Cheng. He's a senior research fellow, Asian Studies Center and the Davis Institute for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Dean, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we're glad to have you. From your perspective, what was President Xi Jinping thinking today during his conversation with President Biden?
3: Well, I think um, several things. Uh, It's interesting that the Americans are knocking at my door, um, asking for us to cooperate with them. Uh, The question is inevitably going to be, and and the uh, White House hasn't been very forthcoming, what did the U.S. offer China? because China is not exactly known for altruism. China is not exactly going to turn its back on a key partner, which is Russia, for free. Um, There are uh, sanctions against China. There are limits on uh, economic and technological transfer. Did the administration offer anything on that? Um, We we haven't heard much from the White House, and the Chinese aren't uh, showing those cards either. Does China stand to
0: benefit from Russia's current actions or by helping Russia? Or do they just kind of enjoy this position of power where they can stand back and watch people beg them to do something and say no?
3: Well, I think that the Chinese uh, look at the Russians as an important partner in opposing the United States. Uh, they both see the U.S. as a key player in keeping their respective uh, countries from reassuming their rightful place in the world. Uh, both Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin have said, point blank, the greatest catastrophe of the 20th century was the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, so, for both of these countries, they want to work together to counter the malign influence, in their view, of the United States. The you know the Chinese are definitely positioned in such a way that they can certainly help Russia uh, take over Ukraine if they wanted to, which th- thus far they haven't really pushed a lot of assistance, but at the same time, they are looking to see, uh, one, how how well does Russia do? They're not doing very well, it seems, but also what might the rest of the world offer China not to help Russia? To that point, in your
0: assessment right now, is China actively assisting Russia, or are they just trying to be neutral in this conflict that the rest of the world, for the most part, has taken sides in? Well,
3: they're definitely not neutral. Um, The Chinese, the public statements, for example, have avoided the word invasion uh, because the Chinese foreign ministry has said invasion is a Western term. Uh, Russia has legitimate security concerns, and therefore, uh, to call it an invasion is to ignore that. China has continued to provide economic, uh, not direct support, but for example, when MasterCard and Visa pulled out of Russia, apparently UnionPay and Alipay, two major Chinese credit cards, Uh, began to move in to replace these MasterCard. China has signed deals for energy and continues to import oil and gas, even as the rest of the world sanctions Russia. But thus far, as far as we know, China hasn't directly supplied military equipment to Russia. And I suspect that the Chinese actually expect to be thanked for that, because in their view, why is it okay for the United States, Germany, the UK to provide anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles to the Ukrainians? And it isn't okay for the Chinese to supply uh, their own versions of anti-tank missiles or uh, artillery shells or the like. We're speaking with Dean Cheng from the Heritage Foundation.
0: Dean, you mentioned the fact that Russia is seeming to acknowledge legitimate uh, security concerns by the Russian government. Do you think they might be doing that? Or have they in any way claimed that the presence of Taiwan is a security concern for China?
3: Well, what's interesting was in the very early days of the invasion, um, the uh, Chinese press received directives to on how to cover this conflict. Don't call it an invasion. Uh, don't uh, focus on civilian casualties. Uh, very, you know, sort of minimalist reporting. And one of the reasons for this was that China is going to need Russian support when we go after Taiwan. So I think that this is implicitly at least a quid pro quo. Russia is uh, cleaning up its borders, is acting against former republics of the Soviet Union. Remember, they said it was a catastrophe uh, that the Soviet Union collapsed. And China is going to eventually Make some kind of action regarding Taiwan. Maybe not an invasion. Maybe political. Maybe economic. But the point here is to say, and we're going to need support. And they—they are both clearly drawing parallels between Ukraine, Taiwan, and responses to Ukraine.
0: Dean Chang Heritage Foundation. Uh, it's concerning news for what that might mean for the future. This may not be uh, the. It may not be the only conflict we will be having in that part of the world. Uh, We hope it is not, but we appreciate you keeping us up to date and for joining us today very much. Thank you. Absolutely. Stay with us when we come back. Transgender swimmer, man identifying as woman swimmer, Leah Thomas, won a national championship yesterday in women's swimming. What does it all mean, and who's trying to stop this from happening in the future? We'll talk about it when we come back.
2: Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues, this helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions.
4: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
0: Welcome back, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. Transgender swimmer Leah Thomas captured first place at the NCAA Women's Swimming Championships yesterday, easily defeating the biological women also competing for the title. After his victory, here's what he had to say.
5: Leah, how did that performance measure up to your expectations coming into this meet tonight? I, I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for this meet. I was just happy to be here trying to race and
1: compete as best as I could.
0: In response to Thomas's dominance, Concerned Women for America filed a civil rights complaint against the University of Pennsylvania for failing to protect the rights of collegiate women athletes. After all, federal civil rights laws prohibit denying women equal rights in college athletic programs. But that's exactly what has been happening all year in the Ivy League. Joining me now to discuss this, is Concerned Women for America, General Counsel Mario Diaz. Mario, welcome to Washington Watch.
5: Jose, great to
0: be with you. It's great to have you. What was your reaction to Leah's champ- national championship swim yesterday?
5: You know, it, it was a mixture of a bit of outrage, as I always have in in relation to to this type of event. I feel like we're failing our daughters when we... Uh, Don't stand up to this type of injustice plane uh, for everyone to see, but also a bit of sadness. I mean, you can see how there are many people hurting, you know, behind uh, uh, that interview that you just played, there were shouts, and those shouts were not of cheer. They were people uh, saying shame and saying, that's a man. Uh, So women are being trampled. Their rights are being um, violated in plain view for everyone to see. And it is just incredibly disappointing uh, to not see the Department of Education moving faster uh, to ensure they have the opportunities they are uh, supposed to get required by law.
0: Mario, to your point about the crowd reaction to what happened at the National Championship swimming event yesterday, I don't hear many people actually defending Thomas. There seems to be a general recognition that a man just stole this national championship from a woman. Do you think this story is changing the way people in America feel about the transgender issue broadly?
5: I hope so. I think at least on this issue, it's so obvious for anyone that is watching that uh, it is fundamentally unfair, that it is not in any way, shape or form uh, good, even for Leah Thomas or for the other competitors. And, uh, you know, what we had in this particular instance, in case of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Concerned Women has uh, done violation, filed violations like this before. But what we have in this instance, in the the case of the University of Pennsylvania, is the statements by teammates uh, that clearly have expressed concerns, even about their uh, comfort and safety in the locker room, where. Uh, they have uh, expressed concerns to the, to the coaches and they are being ignored. So what has been created by the University of Pennsylvania here is a hostile environment and no way for these athletes who were forced to speak on condition of anonymity, for them to express their opinion, their concerns and being taken seriously. Uh, their exact quote in, in the papers was that they were being told to shut up. And, and, and suck it up and continue to do it. And, and you know, one more thing, uh, Joseph, and you know this uh, very well, the tragedy of college sports is that women are being forced to stay silent because the career is so short. You cannot simply risk uh, engaging in a battle with your university for your rights and, and risk losing what you've worked all your life to achieve. Uh, in four years, you'll be gone, and there's no taking back what you have lost. So it, it is such a shame that we're living through this after so many years of women fighting for their rights. And uh, we hope that we can win this, even with a hostile admi- administration that has made clear from the beginning uh, that they are standing uh, for the, the, the trampling of women's rights in this, in this issue.
0: Mario, an underrated part of the problem here is that these swimmers, after they are defeated by him, are also expected to go back to the same locker room and change in his presence. And that, for understandable reasons, is really uncomfortable for a lot of these women. But they're told, again, to just suck it up and deal with it because there's a larger political agenda, apparently. Now, you are taking legal action, the Concerned Women for America are, but isn't it the position of... Uh, of Penn and all the other universities that because of the Bostock decision, because of executive orders from the Biden administration, this is actually what the law requires them to do?
5: They are pretending uh, that this is the case, just like we continue to pretend uh, that Leah Thomas is a woman and she's competing here. They continue to pretend that the law allows for this, but the law is clear. Uh, One of the things that was fundamentally clear that uh, Justice Gorsuch made clear in the Boston decision it was that it was not being applied to Title IX, which is where uh, the law uh, protects women and, and student athletes. And so uh, the law is clear that uh, this is, should not be happening. You know, we talk you talk about facilities, and this is one of the things that it is specifically protected in Title IX. It is women's facilities that that is not a violation in any way of equal rights, right? You are protecting safe spaces for women, and this is in full compliance with the law. But in, the, in, in, in this instance, now we are supposed to pretend that that is not the case and that their rights can be violated because it is being done by somebody, by a man uh, who claims to, to be a woman. Uh, it is, again, it is in clear violation of the law, Uh, If the law needs to be changed, they need to fight for that. But this is not what women have been fighting for for more than 50 years.
0: Mario, many people may not remember, but on Biden's first day in office, he signed an executive order requiring exactly the scenario that we are now watching play out would be the case, that this must be allowed. In about 30 seconds, what happens if this doesn't get
5: fixed? If it doesn't get fixed, women will continue to suffer the consequences. But I tell you what, as you mentioned, the the tide is turning, and I think Concerned Women for America is fundamentally committed to this. We will pay any price that needs to be paid in order to stand up for truth and for the rights of women. We believe it is that important. This is not something we can stay silent on. Uh, We have more than half a million members around the country, many of them college female students that are a member of our Young Women for America chapters, and as you saw yesterday, they were at Georgia Tech, outside, Mario, standing up.
0: We are standing with you, but we are also out of time. Mario Diaz, Concerned Women for America, thanks so much. What
6: is religious liberty, and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph, back home, sitting in for Tony. So grateful that you are with us today. The legacy media has long claimed to give a voice to the afflicted and the powerless, but journalist Rachel Emmanuel, formerly of the Canadian mainstream digital newspaper iPolitics, found the opposite to be true. Repeatedly told not to air certain perspectives, Emmanuel resigned after editors changed information in an article she wrote due to pressure from the Canadian Deputy Prime Minister's office. Emmanuel joins us now to discuss the incidents that led to her resignation, as well as the pattern in legacy media of only providing a platform for one perspective. Rachel, welcome back to Washington Watch.
8: Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here
0: so glad to have you tell us your story briefly what is it that led you to feel like you had to resign Sure. So I think throughout the
8: COVID-19 pandemic, especially here in Canada, we've seen um, pretty great crazy government overreach. We've seen severe curtailment of civil liberties. And this was something that caught my attention and that I was concerned about. And I was speaking to Canadians who were also concerned about it. So um, as a reporter, I was efforting to write about these topics. And I experienced pretty severe pushback uh, from my editorial team, basically saying, We think that it's just a small number of Canadians who feel this way, specifically on things like vaccine mandates and lockdowns. And they asked me to sort of stop covering these issues and to stop engaging with sources that share these perspectives. As well, as you well know, during the COVID-19 pandemic, we had many prominent doctors who were coming out against some of the science, which was sort of changing all the time and saying, we don't agree with the government recommendations. And I was told to pretty much rely on the government science that was coming down and not to engage with other experts. So all of these things were very frustrating for me and led me to sort of look for employment um, elsewhere. And I had begun the process of this when an article that I had written was heavily edited by an an editor post-publication, and I didn't get a chance to review the edits that were made to the article. Um, They were just changed without my knowledge, and I did not agree with the changes that were made. I did not consent to them. So that made it very clear to me that I had to leave and find work elsewhere and that it was time to sever ties with the mainstream media once and for all.
0: Now, Rachel, you say that your editors expressed their concern that these positions were held only by a small number of people. Therefore, they didn't warrant being expressed or given a voice. In your perspective, why does it matter to them that only a small number feel a particular way? Why weren't they more concerned about whether the questions or concerns had any validity?
8: Sure. That's an excellent question. It's one that I've wrestled with a lot. I think one of the things that I've noticed is people in mainstream media just maybe have like a smaller network of friends and they just don't necessarily share perspectives that are outside the mainstream media. So as I was hearing from a lot of Canadians who were very concerned about the government overreach, maybe people in the mainstream media weren't, and certainly my editors hadn't been hearing this from people. So when I was presenting a different perspective, they tended to think that it really wasn't that many people at all but also almost that those perspectives didn't matter because they found them to be so radical. Certainly another barrier that I faced was during a period of the most significant government overreach in Canada. The official opposition, the Conservative Party here in Canada, wasn't really speaking out against it. So there was periods when I only had maybe one independent MP to rely on for comment to speak out against these measures. So it did make it seem like it was quite a small number of people for a period. But what we saw, obviously, with the Freedom Convoy here in Ottawa, is that Canadians are extremely frustrated with the government overreach that we have seen during the COVID-19 pandemic. And everybody wants to get back to some sense of normalcy.
0: Now, when you were bringing alternative perspectives and perhaps medical perspectives that were different than the government's narrative, were they at all interested in finding out if these people were credible, if the the complaints and the concerns they were expressing were credible, or was it simply the fact that we don't hear this from many people, therefore we're going to ignore them?
8: There was absolutely a lot of hesitation when it came to medical stuff. I think part of the thing was you don't have a lot of medical experts within the media. You might have a couple journalists that um, are experts in sort of health, the health beats. But otherwise, it's journalists you know who are typically good at writing and figuring out the facts, all of a sudden presented with a new subject matter. Probably one of the faults of having an industry that is so much more short-staffed and we just have less people doing more work than we ever used to. You don't have people that are really experts in beats like we used to. So I think there was just a general fear that we don't want to be seen as propagating false science or false information. So let's just avoid wading into those topics altogether.
0: So do you think one of the concerns many of us have with legacy media is a function of just a lack of resources rather than a lack of interest in the truth?
8: There is absolutely a concern with the lack of resources, but there's a bigger concern with the lack of perspectives. You have a lot of people who agree with each other and who are writing the same thing over and over, and you don't have very many people within the mainstream media that are offering different opinions or writing stories in different ways and incorporating different voices. Certainly, that was one of the reasons that I had attempted to stay and work into mainstream media as long as I did, till I eventually said, this isn't working because I can't write the stories that are important to me, and when I do write them, they're so heavily edited that I don't even think it's my voice, and I'm not proud of it, and I don't want my name on it but it's just easier for me not to write these stories so i would say the bigger issue is that we just don't have a large variety of voices within the mainstream media we don't have different perspectives and certainly when there are different voices within the mainstream media they leave because it's so difficult for them to do their job in a way that they can feel is following their principles
0: rachel we've only got about 30 seconds left but how do we restore trust in media so people believe what they're being told again
8: It's a really good question. I think the big thing right now is media actually needs to be willing to look at themselves and look inwardly and say, People don't trust us. What's going on? I think when people don't trust the media and the media kind of gets their backs up about it and almost wears it as a, a badge of honour that they're doing their jobs correctly and they point their fingers at politicians who don't trust them and they point their fingers at alternative and independent media who point out the inconsistencies in mainstream media. There doesn't seem to be a lot of actual reflection as to saying, why doesn't the public trust us? What can we do better? What are we missing?
0: Rachel Emanuel, we appreciate your courage as well as your time today. Thank you so much for joining us.
8: Absolutely. Thanks for having me again.
0: An important and courageous story. We do need more people more interested in the truth. Coming up next, our weekly worldview conversation with David Claussen. How is the Ukraine situation, the Russian invasion, revealing the leftist worldview? We'll talk.
9: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back, friends, to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in Fort Tony today. Tragic situations in life often help us rearrange our priorities and serve as a reminder of what is most important. Weeks into the Russian invasion of Ukraine, however, it does not appear that the left is spending any time in self-reflection. Be it John Kerry's stated fear that that the Russian invasion would hinder climate change goals or CBS News ringing the alarm that transgender acceptance in Ukraine is not widespread. The left insists on retreating to the battles it knows best, even as life and death issues play out around us. One might think an outbreak of war would provide some helpful, if not sobering, perspective that words are not, in fact, violence. Violence is violence. But if war does not inspire self reflection, will anything? Joining me now to discuss this is David Claussen. He's the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview here at FRC. David, welcome back to the program.
10: Hey, great to be with you, Joseph.
0: Now, I'm going to get to that, but before I do, we were together in Greensboro, North Carolina today, a great pastor's event there. Tell us what happened and what the Center for Biblical Worldview is doing to serve pastors all around the country.
10: Yeah, it's great to see you. We were just together a couple of hours ago, Joseph. Um, You know, it's interesting. People watch the news, and there's, you know, people can get really upset and down uh, if you watch the legacy or mainstream media, but there's a lot of really great things to report, Last week, I was in Guatemala uh, when we did our worldview conversation talking about how the president was declaring that nation a pro-life capital for Latin America. This week, we're here in Greensboro, North Carolina, where we had a pastor's event just down the street. About 100 pastors joined us. They heard from Tony uh, Perkins, FRC president. They heard from General Boykin. Uh, You and I were on a panel discussing worldview and challenges facing the church. Uh, But it it was just a really encouraging time to be in a room with people who are really taking their responsibilities as the under shepherds of the church seriously. And it was just a good opportunity to remind pastors uh, and, and to remind the folks that were there that things such as preaching and discipleship, and counseling. Uh, These things are essential, uh, no matter what any government tells you. So just just an opportunity, Joseph, to encourage pastors. We're going to be doing more of these events around the country. Uh, You can find out about everything we're doing um, if we're coming to a city near you at frc.org slash worldview. Uh, But we're going to be rolling out more resources to come alongside pastors, as well as Christian parents, uh, to make sure that we talk about worldview every Friday to make sure that a a truly biblical worldview is being inculcated uh, and passed down to the next generation. That's
0: exactly right. And the reason why the Center for Biblical Worldview exists and the reason why the event that we did with the pastors together today exists is because we want to help people— have the resources physically and intellectually to be able to turn on the news, to read an article, to have a conversation, to hear a conversation, and be able to filter the information that they're getting through a lens of a biblical worldview. One of the great, I think, weaknesses in the church, one of the great challenges is that there are a lot of people that we like, who have really good intentions and when we hear what they say we know they're sincere and they're earnest and we tend to be persuaded not by the strength of their argument but by the goodness of their intention or the sincerity of their belief is that a challenge
10: Well, i think it is a challenge joseph i think uh, unfortunately, even within evangelicalism, there's kind of a celebrity culture. And it's, you know, whatever your favorite pastor, your favorite uh, ministry leader says on Twitter, or Instagram, or some other social media, uh, you kind of want to believe that and go along with that. Uh, but, and, and, and unfortunately, that kind of mindset is why uh, statistics like that you and I talk about on this show that. Although, you know, 81% of evangelicals who attend church think they have a biblical worldview. When you actually polled them for beliefs and lifestyle, it's only 21%. And I think there's probably a lot of factors behind that. But number one is that we are no longer passing down a biblical worldview. Again, we use that term all the time. This is, in fact, the worldview conversation. But a worldview is simply the lens through which you see the world. A worldview consists of those basic fundamental beliefs about what is true. Is there such a thing as objective truth? Who or what determines what is real? What is right? What is wrong? And as Christians, we believe, Joseph, all those answers or found in scripture. So that's what you know. You and I and others at, on the FRC staff were trying to encourage and remind pastors uh, today here in Greensboro, North Carolina. But that's the, the, what we need to be doing constantly. And that's what Christian parents need to be doing is making sure that we're focusing on all the issues that we deal with through the lens of God's word. Because at the end of the day, that's the standard uh, that we need to hold up everything to. And in the same
0: way that, pressure reveals our character, moments of crisis will prove what it is that we really believe. And this Russian invasion of Ukraine is, I think, helping us see what people in America, what our political leadership really believes about some important things. And I'm going to run through this list, and I know you've seen these, I've written this um, this weekend, and I think it's going to, if it's not up, it will be soon at frc.org worldview. But I want to run down a list of things that happened within hours and days of the Ukrainian, of the Russian invasion into Ukraine. And here's, these are anecdotes, but I think when we put them together, it actually means something. Only hours after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the head of British intelligence, so, you know, not the United States, but a Western country, very similar values, probably even a little to the left of us culturally, he took to Twitter and again we're hours after this invasion and here's what he said. He said with the tragedy and destruction unfolding so distressingly in Ukraine, we should remember the values and hard-won freedoms that distinguish us from Putin, none more than LGBT plus rights. That to me is a really interesting observation, you know, war is breaking out in Europe for the first time in 80 years close to that and he wants to talk about the importance of LGBT plus rights. Curious. Well, uh, not to be outdone on this side of the pond, we had some of our own identity politics taking place because President Biden's State of the Union took place a couple of days after that, where he lamented the, quote, onslaught of, quote, anti-transgender laws. And he was referring specifically to Texas and their belief down there that it can be child abuse, to chemically or surgically castrate a child. Vice President Kamala Harris, two days later, made very similar statements. Again, we're now five days or so into this war. We have the head of British intelligence, the president of the United States, the vice president, and then we had HHS Secretary Javier Becerra basically make similar uh, statements uh, attacking the state of Texas for their decisions. So big windup to this question. Why is it that when you're seeing an invasion, you're seeing war break out. It could be a time where we just come together in a unique way and celebrate our shared humanity and our opposition to clear evil. Why is it that identity politics continue to be
10: waged in the Western world? Yeah, and another example you could give, Joseph, is the bill passed in my home state of Florida that just simply made sure that gender ideology was not taught to children uh, kindergarten through third grade, and you would think that uh, Florida passed the most mean uh, oppressive law anywhere in the world, which is simply not true at all. Uh, And I think behind all of these examples, and you and I could probably give many other examples, um, is Obviously, you know, ideas have consequences, and underneath uh, this uh, hard turn uh, back to identity politics is the worldview of many on the left, Joseph. You know, we, I watch the news. I see these images coming out of Ukraine. Uh, they're tragic. Uh, watching mothers have to, uh, pregnant mothers being evacuated out of hospitals, uh, watching uh, children uh, having to go through the ravages of war. This is objective evil that's unfolding before us in Ukraine and what, instead of being able to unite around that uh, you have leftist politicians using up airspace rather than shining a light and putting pressure on on Russia to go again to the identity politics and I think the reason again behind that is that that is it shows this is their worldview when you reject absolute truth you have you reject God uh, what do you have you have this autonomous Uh, perspective uh, that guides everything that you do and abortion and gender identity seem to be the things uh, that the left is going to continue to talk about time and time again, uh, regardless of what's going on in the face of real objective, horrifying evil that we should all be able to focus on right now. The left doesn't want to take their eye off the prize of their objectives, which is continuing to move the ball on this more elect uh, uh, leftist woke agenda. And, and that is revealing, Joseph. I think this, uh, this is a s- sad that we're having to talk about this, but it is revealing uh, from where many now are coming from.
0: In some sense, it feels to me like you have a house fire, but mm. you go onto the roof to try to patch a leak that you discovered. And in, in terms of its priorities, it's like, this might be an issue, but, but I also think what we're seeing in Ukraine right now is putting our first world problems into perspective. Because really we do have first world problems and it has become very fashionable in the United States to be a victim. And do you think in any sense the presence, the visibility of people who really are victims because they've had missiles launched into their homes, their families have been separated, their loved ones have been killed, by a maniacal you know whatever terms you want to use for putin right now he is doing terrible things to people these are real victims is there any sense in which we in the vic- we in the west who have wanted to make ourselves victims might have our victim status feel threatened by the presence of people who undeniably are victims
10: well i think so joseph so i yeah, i think that unfortunately is what more and more people in this country that they, you know whether it's uh critical race theory or things like that that try to see the world in these categories of oppressors and oppressed and and victims and whatnot. Uh, I think, I, I hope, and I would imagine there are many people around the country that are seeing these images on their screen and realizing, oh my, this is what, you know, we haven't had a war like this in 80 years, but seeing the the the, the scenes of just uh, horrifying violence uh, being perpetrated against innocent people that didn't ask for this at all, I think I would hope Joseph uh, that there are millions of Americans and millions of those in the West that they they are doing some self reflection and maybe for the first time in a while realizing. Uh, the things that they have in their lives to be grateful for. But one other point I'll make, Joseph, is, you know, the Christian worldview actually gives us the categories to even think through everything we're seeing. You know, most other worldviews have denied that there's uh, absolute truth, that there is any way we can discern right from wrong. And, you know, I think that is actually the sign of a residual Christian worldview that we have instincts uh, that can respond to the images that we see on our TV screen. We, we can say objectively that what Vladimir Putin and his cronies are doing in Russia invading Ukraine, that is evil. Well, wh- where does that moral language come from? It comes from the Christian worldview. And I think, again, that's just important to underscore. All these stories that we deal with, uh, ultimately, uh, at the base of all of them is worldview. Yeah,
0: that's a really good point, because if you can't use... You can't logically use the term evil if you don't believe in ultimate truth in some sense. Now, we've talked a little bit about identity politics. There's another area in which the left has kind of maintained their priorities, and one that got a lot of attention that I think is worth giving a little bit more attention. And we're talking at the very outbreak of this war. John Kerry, former senator and secretary of state, currently serves as President Biden's special presidential envoy for climate he expressed his hope in an interview that Russia, despite their invasion of Ukraine, would quote stay on track. For climate change, and then
3: diplomacy at last- will win. But massive uh, emissions consequences to the war. But equally importantly, you're going to lose people's focus. You're going to lose uh, certainly big country attention because they will be diverted. And, and uh, I think it could have a damaging impact. I hope President Putin will help us to stay on track with respect to what we need to do for the climate.
0: There you have it. We need to stay on track in the midst of our invasions to make sure that we're accomplishing our environmental goals. The Atlantic in the last week ran an article uh, lamenting the potential environmental damage that would happen from a nuclear war should it break out. What's going on here, David, where in the, in the prospect of real human just tragedy, we're concerned about making sure that the invading countries stay on track
10: with our climate goals? Well, my first thought, Joseph, watching John Kerry say that was elections have consequences. And obviously, uh, former Secretary Kerry is, is laser focused on the climate issue. And, and comments like that it, at one level are just incredibly naive. I, I think he really believes that the, the climate issue is the, the number one issue that you know, Russia needs to stay on track. I can assure you that's the last thing on Vladimir Putin's mind, making sure they're keeping on track of emissions uh, standards or levels. But again, it does underscore the worldview and the commitment uh, that many on the left have to their global warming climate agenda. And, you know, as Christians, we believe we should have stewardship. We, We should care for the creation. But at the end of the day, Joseph, We realize uh, that all people are made in God's image and have value and dignity and care for, you know, global warming protocols should never displace attention from people who are made in God's image. But again, that's a outworking of a worldview that is unmoored from the gospel. And the biblical worldview does teach us very clearly in
0: Genesis chapter one that the creation is made for us. And we are not made for the creation. And I think we see many examples here where that gets inverted. And as you indicated, that is not uh, a license to abuse the environment or to exploit it. But it is, of course, a recognition of the fact that God made the planet, the earth, the resources for the crown of his creation, which is us, for us to rule and subdue and benefit and ultimately give him glory. David, we're out of time. Thank you for your time today so much.
10: Thank you, Joseph.
0: Friends, thanks for being with us today. Hope that you have been blessed. We'll see you on Monday. Until then, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next
3: time. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to
0: you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family and freedom,